That's pretty exciting, actually, I think. It seemed, I mean, it seemed like a ship that had sailed, and now it feels more like a seed that was planted. I like that. Because, I mean, two years, that's a long time to live with uncertainty. You know what I mean? I feel like you could say that sentence in any room in the world right now. <laughs> you know, it's this room right now, but where, where it could be in the bar down the street. You could say that, and everyone would raise their glass, right? Two years is a long time to live with uncertainty. We're about two years from when the whole world shut down. Just a couple weeks from it. You know, two years from when people thought, okay, two weeks, I could do this for two weeks. Or whatever, right? Two years from people starting to refinish their basements. (laughs) Two years from when they started cleaning out their garage. For us, it was uh, planting a garden. Um, I, I imagine some people did all three of those things. People who had, you know, that kind of capacity. They probably did all of those things. For us, though, we w- it was planting a garden. And we found, actually, all kinds of benefits. Do you know these? Do you know that gardening is actually good for you? <laughs> it's a surprise. It's good for you. Not just the things that you eat when you do garden, but actually the gardening. It's good for you. Uh, there's, there's bacteria in the soil that gets released, and when you, you, when you garden, as you are tilling the soil, it releases the bacteria, and you breathe it in, and it actually releases serotonin into your bloodstream. That's good for you. There's actually, there's bacteria that gets under your fingernails, and then gets into your system, and it actually helps your immune system. It's like, it's like good for you, right? There's the, there's the vitamin D Right with the, with the sunshine and the, and, the, and the, all this fresh air. I mean, this this is no joke. This is well, it's quite beautiful. And then, of course, the, the the process itself to see this hidden thing come to fruition, to have the patience of a gardener. It's it's like it's like maybe all of that's on purpose. You know, and maybe that shouldn't surprise me so much. I mean, we're talking about uh, a God of Genesis who planted a garden and then put his, his image bearers in it and said, here, work it, take care of it. We're, we're, talking, about, uh, we're talking about the God who, who takes care of the lilies of the field, as we sang about this morning. We're, we're talking about Jesus who often compared the kingdom of God to a garden and, and actually God the Father to a gardener. Like if you look in, uh, in John 15 and you see the pruning process so that the, the garden can bear as much fruit as possible. We're talking about the Jesus who spent time in gardens himself. The garden of Gethsemane and the garden that his grave was in. We're talking about the Jesus whose church was launched when he met one woman who was weeping in a garden, and she mistook him for a gardener. I think she was more right than she realized. God is a gardener, children. God is a gardener. This is unexpected. Unexpected. If you think about human history and the way God has been perceived... Gardener does not go very near the top of the list. You think about Zeus and his thunderbolts rolling down from Mount Olympus and how he took from the people what he wanted. 
You think about Marduk who tore the bodies of his rivals apart and made human beings to be his slaves. You you think about how the gods of the ancient world arrived on the tip of a spear. But this kingdom doesn't arrive at the end of a lightning bolt or the tip of the spear. It comes in a seed planted in a garden growing up to Surprising heights. Heights so great that the birds can find shade in them. Heights that can provide us with shade. Yes, this is, this is unexpected, but it's, but it's very good news. It's very good news. It's good news that we need to pay attention to, actually. A.W. Tozer says, The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Imagine the torment and the uncertainty in the ancient world when they thought about their gods. Imagine what it felt like to wonder if today was the day when you were going to have crossed the line with one particular god. Imagine having to erect an idol to an unknown god just to try to make sure you had peace with this possibility out there that could, that could haunt you. Imagine that kind of uncertainty, but now imagine... This God says, no, I'm not like any of those things. I'm actually like a gardener. It's going to be okay to come near. In fact, I'm coming near to you. I'm going to provide you shade. Imagine that. Imagine starting to think about God that way, as God truly is. Imagine that this unexpected news is actually very good news Very good news. In fact, this is how Jesus announces in the book of Mark his kingdom. Uh, The book of Mark starts this way. uh, Verse 1 of chapter 1, you know, the start. It says, in the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This, This is the beginning of the good news. Like there's more good news to come. Like, Like God intends to fulfill our deepest hopes. But that's interesting too, that, that this is the beginning of the good news because actually when the words first come out of Jesus' mouth in the book of Mark, when you get to verse 15 of chapter 1, it's right after John the Baptist has been imprisoned. John the Baptist uh, paves the way for Jesus. Uh, In the beginning of the book of Mark, we're reminded that this is the plan all along, that there was going to be one who would pave the way, and then God would come near. But now John's in prison. And it's at that point, verse 15, right, where Jesus says, let me tell you about the kingdom. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. There's this very strange juxtaposition between what's happening for John the Baptist and what Jesus insists is true. For for the first hearers of the book of Mark, it would have been a very similar juxtaposition to what they're used to. We're told by the the fathers and mothers of the church that that Mark was writing in Rome and he's writing down the story of, uh, uh, as Peter told it to him, and he's writing to a persecuted church. He's writing to a church who were watching their loved ones lose their lives. That, that tension. But Jesus insists that the kingdom is actually here, and it is very good news. That he is, in fact, here to fulfill all our hopes. 
but maybe not just fulfill. Maybe actually also subvert. You see, as human beings, we very often, I think, confuse what we need with what we want. We're, we're a little bit confused as to how that works. Maybe we are sometimes unaware of what we most are in need of, what we most deeply need. Sometimes we're unaware of what we most deeply desire. We cover it up with all these other things, all these, well, I would say other kingdoms, all these siren calls drawing us away from the garden, drawing us towards other kingdoms. So, so we have Jesus here who is, yes, he's here to fulfill all our deepest hopes. It's very, very good news. But we're going to have to pay close attention because he's actually going to subvert our shallow understanding of what it is we want most and what we need. He's, he's here to flip it on its head. We like to say he's going to turn it upside down, but I'm starting to think maybe he's actually about turning it right side up finally after all these years. It's us that turned it upside down, kids. He turns it right side up. When he does the gardening, when he does the gardening, yes, he's here, he's here to fulfill and to subvert, and, and when we, when we need that. Because when we hear the word kingdom, we get all sideways. In our world, the kingdom exists for the good of the king. But that's not God's economy. In God's kingdom, the king exists for the good of the kingdom. This gardener planted himself as a seed in the ground so that it would grow and bear fruit and cast shade for you and I. He had to subvert what it is we thought we were hoping for. He's fulfilling our hopes, but he had to subvert the things we had settled for all these years. This is why Jesus had to come teaching us what the kingdom is actually like. Think of all the parables where he tells us the kingdom of God is like. Why does he have to do that? Would Caesar ever have to tell anyone what his kingdom is like? No, they would be experiencing it moment by moment, wouldn't they? At the tip of the spear or at the altar of the, of the, the cult of the emperors. Jesus' kingdom it's very different than that. He has to teach us over and over again what his kingdom is like. Where Caesar grabs control by making everybody else vulnerable so he can be safe. Where the kings and tyrants of this world go about making everyone else vulnerable so they can be safe. The God of the universe, this gardening God, actually makes himself vulnerable so we can be safe. Our God is a gardener. He has to teach us what his kingdom is like. And so he does. He does it basically throughout chapter 4. We're about halfway through chapter 4. For us, when we look again, as we have to, again and again, when we look again this morning at what the kingdom of God is like, we're going to look at verse 26 and, and that, that little passage, and then again with the, the next parable that Jesus tells about what the kingdom is like. Here's what it says starting in verse 26. Says he also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What an interesting little story. (laughs) This parable. We've been talking about parables now because Jesus talks in parables. And at the end of the last parable, we found that one of the main reasons why he speaks in parables is to to draw people in. Because you're going to need to go to the storyteller to know what the story is about. We actually find that again here. But, But there's this beautiful story that the storyteller is telling. He's giving us insight into what the the kingdom of God is like. One of the things about it is that there's all kinds of progress happening underneath the surface, deep in the soil. You can't always see it. Think about how John the Baptist is in jail. Later, he's actually going to send some of his disciples to Jesus and say, hey, listen, we were talking as we were growing up about kingdoms and uh, you were talking actually later in Nazareth about how this was going to mean the, 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 the freedom of your people, that people are going to be set free from oppression, but this feels a little bit actually like it feels like oppression. Right? They're about to take my head. What's going on here? And Jesus reminds them of the kingdom work that's happening. You have to look. You have to, you have to patiently look. Remember the audience of, of Mark their neighbors are being torn from their beds. Their, their family members are suffering. They're being persecuted. And Jesus says, be patient. I'm doing a new thing. Under the soil. It, it might be hidden, but, but it's going to come to fruition. You see, this, this farmer in this story is patient. He planted his seeds somewhere at the very end of winter. He didn't reap until the rains of fall had come. He stayed faithful in his rising and his going to sleep. He stayed faithful. He stayed faithful because he knew that this kingdom work would come to fruition because it was God's work, right? What does it say? He doesn't know how this even works. All the rabbis talk about this gardening, this this farming as a miracle. It's a rather slow miracle, but make no mistake, it's a miracle, Do you think it had to happen fast to be a miracle? There's this tiny seed, looks like a crumb. Inside of it, there's DNA information. It goes under the ground. It stays there for months. Later on, it produces the very thing it was designed to produce, the thing it promised to produce. Patience, God is working. Lest we think it's our kingdom that has come. It is his kingdom that has come. He's doing the work, and it's our privilege to work alongside the gardener. We are apprentices as gardeners. 
we work shoulder to shoulder with him. This process may require patience, but be confident. And, and farmers have every reason to be confident because of the past. They've seen it happen. They've seen it happen. Uh, that's how we ought to live. We, we live oriented towards the future, towards the future we know that God is going to bring about the harvest because of what we've seen in the past. That's how Christian hope works. We have seen seeds get planted. We have seen them sprout. We've seen them come to bear their fruit because of the past. The other thing is that the farmer is confident because of the present. Who else has eyes for the first signs of spring than the farmer? You might go trampling through that mud thinking it's just a wasteland, but he's seen the green sprouts just above the ground. Gardeners get to see the first flowers like the crocus or the snowdrop that actually blooms oftentimes before the last snowfall has even taken place. Many pictures of these beautiful blooms uh, that, that, that are entrenched in the snow because there is a future promise. The first signs of spring have arrived. Let me tell you, the first sign of spring was the resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Paul calls it the first fruits. Because of that past, I can orient myself towards the future and be faithful in the present. Like a farmer might. Like a gardener might. Because of that past, I can orient myself towards the future and be confident about where I am in the story. The story of creation fall, but a persistent farmer who insists of bringing beauty up out of the earth anyway, redeeming the earth, setting it free from oppression. That's where we are in the story. But of course, sometimes it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to to, to want to rush the process. The story here says, listen, there's got to be a seed and then there'll be a, a, a stalk and then there'll be a head and then there'll, be, then there'll be fruit. There's a process and there's all kinds of internal clocks going off all the time in me and maybe in you too where we want to rush the process. We want to grab control. But I think that's part of the reason why this next story is there too. We don't have that much time, but this story is about a mustard seed. It's real little, a mustard seed. And it grows up fairly large, six to ten feet. But it's small. It doesn't come bursting down your door. It it doesn't come on the tip of the spear. It, It doesn't come with banners waving. It does not. It's real small. And you know what? I feel like in comparison, it sort of stays small. Like this is not the cedar of Lebanon we're talking about here. I've never been to see the redwoods, but I've heard stories. God did not compare his kingdom to the cedars of Lebanon. Although, In the end, the cedars of Lebanon will be brought in 
by the supposed kings of the earth, and they'll be brought to the one true king, if you read Revelation. God did not compare his kingdom to a redwood, to a mustard seed. I like mustard, but the <laughs> plant's not that impressive to me. That's delicious. It really finishes the sandwich nicely, but it's just, just a shrub, actually. Does that word even impress you? A shrub. Caesar pillaged, and he brought his armies back through the archways and the forums, and he said, look, I'm in charge, I promise you. Jesus plants seeds, mustard seeds even. It reminds me of what Mother Teresa said. We can do no great thing, just small things with great love, because we go on as we began. You don't, you don't jump in the kingdom and then say, okay, I'm out of trouble now, I'm going to switch kings. We go on as we begin. We stay humble. We keep planting. We, we keep weeding. The, 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 we, we're on our knees doing the work. We're on our knees doing the work because he was on his knees doing the work. All kinds of Christians throughout time have thought, good, Jesus was on his knees doing the work so that I can sit on the throne. And it has ruined many people's lives. That's what they thought Constantine was achieving for them or something. But they needed to remember, no, it's a mustard seed and it stays a mustard plant and it's really a shrub. It stays humble. How do we stay humble? We stay with Jesus. What does this say here? Verse 33, actually. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them so much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. He uses parables to bring them to him over and over again, again and again, right? More than one time. Gardening once is just a sunburn, right? Gardening once is just a sore back. Gardening every day, again and again, as a bouquet of flowers, as fresh tomatoes on your salad, as mustard on your sandwich. That's good. We return again and again. We return to Jesus because it's Jesus who says to all the other siren songs, all the other visions of the kingdom, quiet, be still, which is actually the story that comes next. The storms of this world, the uncertainty that the, the, the disciples were experiencing, the, the chaos, that's what storms represent, actually. Uh, the sea represents chaos in Scripture. And to the chaos of this world and to the other storms, Jesus says, quiet, be still. It's the voice of the gardener that's worth cultivating. Let us not bend our ear towards Caesar, or anyone else besides this humble carpenter and gardener named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let's draw near again. 
as he says, quiet, be still. Let's plant seeds with him that are worth harvesting. Let's plant seeds with our gardener, the God of the universe. Let's plant seeds with him that are worth harvesting. It might be worth thinking about too. Thinking about ways to become quiet in front of Jesus. Ways that we feel tired. The seeds aren't growing and we need to bring that fatigue to Jesus who in Matthew chapter 11 says, come to me if you're weary. Maybe we need to actually reflect on the ways that the seed has actually borne fruit and we need to thank the gardener for the miracle of growth. Seems like almost everything in our world falls apart, but here in the garden, they grow and are renewed and we are made new. I think perhaps we should say thank you. Let's spend a few minutes doing that.